Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple-making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple-making movement that Jesus started and passed on to his disciples. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. Our values include being biblical, incarnational, relational, transformational, reproducible, faith-driven, prayer-driven, process-driven, principle-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gift set of teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today and would like to get to know you better, so drop us a note to introduce yourself and let us know from where you're listening. We welcome ideas for future show topics and guest speakers. We're reaching for excellence here, so leave us some feedback on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate there if you'd like your voicemail message to be included in a future podcast episode. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries podcast, where we've dedicated this entire show to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ, and where we've determined to encourage and equip believers like you everywhere around the world towards spiritual maturity, a greater spiritual fruitfulness, and increased inheritance in the kingdom of God. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We have responded to the four calls of Jesus to come to him, to follow him, to learn how to become fishers of men, and to go and make disciples among our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and local churches. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We at Disciple Making Ministries are intentionally targeting this internet platform audience in order to seek out and equip faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This week in Disciple Making Ministries, we have been interacting with a number of disciple makers on a number of different levels. We've been spending time with our Iranian brother in Christ, who has a vision for marketplace ministries. Each week, he travels out to several outdoor markets, and he builds relationships with a number of individuals who come from countries such as those in Central Asia and the Middle East. These uh, people are from Muslim and secular contexts, and so they'll never go to a church building. 
So my friend takes Jesus out to the marketplaces. We at Disciple Making Ministries wholeheartedly support this kind of activity. For this is what Jesus did. He went out and dined among the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus demonstrated the love of God in the real world where people were living. Jesus also nurtured his disciples, spending time with them, encouraging them, teaching them different lessons. And so this past week, we spent some time with a previous disciple of ours. This person has given up their life as a lawyer to go into the mission field. And they're now involved in intensive discipleship training through Youth with a Mission. So we spent some time with this person and encouraged them in their walk with Christ. This past week, we also started a new discipleship group in a local church. We have three new followers of Jesus who want to become fishers of men. And so we've just started the process of training them, and we ask your prayers for this effort. This past week, we have also been in communication with pastors who are serving in India, Kenya, and Nigeria. They have invited us to come and personally do discipleship training among their people in their churches. And we would love to go and do that. We just need a little bit of financial support to pay for the airfare. So if you're interested in helping sponsor one of these trips, please contact us at our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. But for now, I'd like to pray for these pastors. Let's pray for God to send them into the harvest. Let's pray for God to give them wisdom to multiply disciple-making movements in their context. And let's pray for God to empower them for his kingdom expansion activities. Heavenly Father, right now we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we pray for Pastor Ali here in Ukraine doing marketplace ministries. We pray, Lord, that you would give him opportunities to share the good news of Christ and to bring in the harvest and to make disciples among those who would not step into a church building. We pray also for Pastor Jacob in India, who is doing some very difficult work church planting in villages. Lord, we pray that you would send him help to be able to reach more people for Christ and to establish those relationships in your kingdom in his part of India. We pray also for Pastor Udemi in Nigeria, who is doing leadership development work among other pastors in rural areas of the country. We ask you to give him wisdom and give him advice and give him encouragement for the ministry that you've placed before him. And we also pray for Pastor Jared in Kenya, who is a pastor of a small independent church there, and he's asked for help to come and train disciple makers among his congregation. We pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to encourage him in the work that's going on there. Also, we pray for Pastor Peter in Kenya, who is doing a work with orphans and widows and has asked for help. And we pray, Lord, that you would provide that help for him. And finally today, I'd like to pray for Pastor Henry, also in Kenya, who is in need of some spiritual warfare training for the difficult uh, circumstances that arise from spiritual warfare in his country. And I ask that you would help him to be an overcomer. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll return with our main topic for today, which is the importance of multiplication in disciple-making.
On a wall in the Museum of Natural Science in Chicago, there's a checkerboard with 64 squares on it. In the lower left-hand corner is a grain of wheat. The display includes this question. If you doubled the amount of wheat as you move from square to square, how much wheat would you have when you reach the 64th square? Would you have a car load? Would you have a train load? No, you would have enough wheat to cover the entire country of India six feet deep. Now that is the power of multiplication. In this episode, I'm going to try to convince each of you disciple makers out there to adopt God's multiplying methodologies of ministry. I want to change your mindset. I want to break you out of the traditions and the self-imposed boundaries and the limitations that you have placed on yourself, preventing you from producing more spiritual fruit and keeping you from increasing your inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. I want to shock you out of the traditional religious paradigms of what it means to do ministry and to launch you out into greater areas of service in Jesus' name. Let me start this episode with two observations about creation. When God created the angels, he created a fixed multitude of angels from the very beginning and then sent them out to serve him. But when God created the earth and everything that is in it, such as plants, animals, and humanity, he created them quite differently to participate in a multiplication process that would bring blessing to the entire earth and to mankind. Not only that, God gave mankind an extra command to subdue and rule over the entire earth. Now, if God has built into the earth this multiplying method of blessing, then why shouldn't we also adopt multiplying methods of blessing others in ministry? This idea of choosing multiplication methods of ministry is so radically different from what we average Christians hold in our hearts. If I observed the average Christian out there, I would find that most of them work out of a framework of scarcity thinking. Most of them work out of a framework of survival. And most of them work out of a framework of subtraction. You see, I think we've adopted the world's thinking about productivity and fruitfulness rather than God's kingdom principles of fruitfulness and multiplication. There is no scarcity. There is no survival of the fittest. And there is no subtraction in the kingdom of heaven. For God operates under a completely different paradigm than the world. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The streets of heaven are made of gold. And from God's perspective, there is way more wealth in heaven than you and I could ever spend. So God's kingdom is upside down from what we think in worldly kingdoms. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Then Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. 
So we see in scriptures, in God's kingdom, if you give God your time, he will multiply it back to you. If you give God your money, he will multiply it back to you. If you give God your energy, he will multiply that back to you also. Farmers know this principle, that seeds must be sacrificed into the ground in order to do any good. If you keep a seed in a sack, it does no good. But if you plant it, it has the potential to multiply many times over. For example, when you plant just one watermelon seed, what do you get? You get a bunch of watermelons with hundreds of seeds in them. Now suppose you disciple makers out there were to reach one person for Jesus and disciple that person who would then continue the process over and over again. At the end of six months, there would be two disciples. At the end of one year, there would be four disciples. Do you know how many disciples there would be at the end of 17 years? More than six billion disciples would exist. Stop and think about that. That is the power of multiplication. The principle of multiplication is all over the scriptures. So we see the principle of multiplication in creation. And God blessed humanity and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. And then after the flood, God repeated this command to Noah, saying, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Then we saw the principle of multiplication in God's covenants. God gave a promise to Abraham as a word of blessing and multiplication, saying that I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and your name will be great, and you will be a blessing, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God repeated this blessing a number of times to Abraham. God said, I will make you fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. God said, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And then we saw this multiplication blessing extended through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' message of salvation was intended to produce a disciple who would in turn produce other disciples until the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. This is to my Father's glory, that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then we see that the process of multiplication extended into the New Testament as the apostles and the disciples went out and started new churches and the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers, in groups of 3,000, in groups of 5,000. So I hope by this short introduction that you are convinced that you need to be involved also in multiplying methods of ministry to reflect the glory of God in doing things the way that he does them through the power of multiplication. More specifically, what methods of multiplication did Jesus use? After the break, we'll come back to explore the answer to that question. Stay with us. I have a confession to make. I'm not really a fisherman. Well, if someone invites me along, I might go along. But I probably won't ever go fishing by myself, and I probably won't ever invite you along to go with me. 
actually most of the time I consider fishing as somewhat boring, especially if it's in a pond or a lake. Usually what happens is that I end up doing a lot of sitting around and waiting for the fish to bite. No, I much prefer active fishing in beautiful outdoor environments, such as fishing in streams and rivers in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. At least that way, I'm always active, directing the bait to new locations in the water where I think fish might be located, and standing in my waders fighting against the stream of the river. This way, if you don't catch any fish, you can always enjoy the beautiful scenery, the fresh air, and the snow-capped mountains. But a little more than a year ago, I was invited by my uncle in Texas to go fishing in his pond. This is one of the few times that I actually enjoyed fishing in a pond or a lake. That is because even though I don't have very many fishing skills, I actually caught a five-pound fish there. How was I so lucky to catch such a huge fish? Well, it wasn't because I chose the right time of the day, for we were fishing in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> and it wasn't because I chose the right bait, because I was just using grasshoppers that were hopping around beside the lake. And it wasn't because I was some expert, because I know very little about fishing except how to cast a line into the water. <laughs> But the reason that I was so successful at catching this five-pound fish, eclipsing even the record of my wife, might I say, is because my uncle had done all the preparation work beforehand. He had some great methodologies of fishing. He had stocked the pond with fish in advance. He had pumped water into the pond, ensuring that the pond would have enough water during the drought season. And he went out there several times per week and fed the fish so that they would grow to be large. Combining these and other methodologies together, he could invite his family, friends, and visitors over to the pond to have an enjoyable experience together of catching fish. In fact, I think he enjoyed watching others catch the fish more than he enjoyed catching the fish himself. Now, the reason I shared this personal fishing story with you today was not to boast about my five-pound catfish that I caught, nor was it to compare my record with that of my wife, but rather it was to share the success that came from the methodologies used by my uncle. My uncle had a number of methodologies for making a successful fisherman out of me. And I want to pass along principles of multiplication to you to make you successful fishers of men. Now, what successful multiplication methodologies did Jesus use to help his disciples become more successful in catching fish? Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And Jesus sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water, and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say, and let down the nets. 
When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. Now I believe that one of the first multiplication methodologies that Jesus taught his disciples was to obey him. Jesus called them to put out into the sea and to cast their nets, even when it didn't make sense. They had been fishing all night, but they caught nothing. However, they decided to obey Jesus' command, and because of this, they had great success. Catching men is going to require you to be obedient. It's going to require you to sacrifice some of your time and energy. It's going to require that you lay behind some of your thinking about the ways of fishing and adopting the methods that Jesus has called you to. Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to leave behind your preconceived ideas of what it means to be a fisher of man and go obey the principles of Jesus Christ even when it doesn't make sense? These disciples were willing to leave behind everything and obey Jesus Christ, and that brought them great success. A second multiplication methodology that Jesus taught to his disciples was to go where the fish are located. If you want to catch fish, you have to go to the water. You'll never catch fish by waiting on top of a mountain for the fish to come to you, or by living in the middle of a desert. No, you have to go out to the marketplaces, to the schools, to the offices, to the businesses, where the unsaved people are located. After that, Jesus went out, and he noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to Levi, Follow me. And Levi left everything behind and got up and began to follow Jesus. And Levi gave a big reception for Jesus in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole principle here in the life of Jesus was that he was willing to go out to where the fish were, out to where the sinners were located. You cannot expect the sinners to come into your church buildings. You cannot expect them to come knocking on your door. It's the other way around in the kingdom of God. If you want to have successful multiplication ministries, you've got to go out to where the people are located. A third multiplication methodology that Jesus taught his disciples was that they needed to learn how to analyze the environment. When you're fishing in the natural world, it's important to consider the environment. 
You must observe the current and the depth of the water. You must know if it is salt water or fresh water. You must observe how the wind is blowing. You must understand the different types of bait and the methods that you should use to catch the fish. So as it is in the natural world, so it is in the spiritual world. You must analyze the spiritual environment in which you find men and women. What are their real needs? What is happening to them in their lives? How can you serve them? When Jesus met the woman at the well, he analyzed the environment in which he found her, and he was able to direct the conversation to her true spiritual need. She was seeking natural water, but Jesus used this natural need to help her understand her need for spiritual water, the living water. The method that he used reeled her into the kingdom of God. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered to her, saying, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered to her, saying, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. Right here in this context, we see that Jesus understood the environment that this woman was in, and he used the circumstances of this woman's environment to make a bridge between her physical need and the true inner spiritual need that she had for a Savior. He turned the conversation from the physical to the spiritual things, and she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem it is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. For you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now even is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus used the circumstances of the environment around her to direct her from the physical over to the spiritual, and then he directed her to her need for a Messiah. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So one of Jesus' key multiplication methodologies is for you to analyze the environment and to transition people from the physical over to the spiritual conversations of life. Now, a fourth multiplication methodology that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples to use in their fishing for men was to vary the methodologies that they used. You see, a good fisherman always has different methods to catch fish. He uses various baits to attract the fish. 
He uses different kinds of fishing equipment, which may include fishing rods, nets, spears, or baskets. He understands that different kinds of fish are attracted by different kinds of methods. The ability to vary the methods on the fly is what makes a fisherman good at his hobby. A fisherman can learn some of these methods in books, but other methods he has to learn from experience. The methods that he uses will probably change, but his goal is always the same, to catch more fish. So if you're going to be an effective spiritual fisherman, you must learn to vary the methods. Different people are going to be attracted to the gospel by various methods. Some will be reeled in by teaching and preaching. Others will be reeled in by comfort and love. Now, if you were to take my discipleship seminar, then you would definitely learn to vary the methods of disciple-making. In fact, in my seminar, I teach ten different methods of disciple-making, all the way from being very passive to being very active and more effective for example, more passive methods of making disciples of others would include passive discipleship, which is leaving tracks behind in literature somewhere, or even platform discipleship, which means using a platform like preaching or teaching in front of a large group setting in order to train people. The more effective methods of making disciples are more private and more personal times together, one-on-one -on -one with people or in a very small group, giving personal assignments to your disciples to fulfill and helping them to reach one level of proficiency before moving on to higher levels of discipleship proficiency. But the most successful disciple makers that I know are those who vary the methods. They will do a little passive discipleship, they will do a little proximity discipleship, and they will do some personal discipleship one-on-one -on -one with accountability. Varying the methods helps you to have more success in fishing for men. Okay, let's say you're convinced that you should vary the methods that you use for evangelism, and that you should vary the methods that you use for discipleship. Now, for you pastors out there, why should you not also vary the methods that you use for your outreach ministries? Lately, I have been studying the motivational redemptive gifts as listed in Romans chapter 12. And it has been revealed to me that these redemptive gifts come from the Father. They are part of God's design of identity placed into humanity, and they reflect the sevenfold nature of God, and they were given to mankind in order to reflect the redemptive purposes of God in the world. And so they are to be taken together kind of like a diamond with seven facets. And so when all seven facets of the diamond of the image of God in man for the redemptive purposes of the Father are shining brightly together, then that is a powerful witness out in the world to redeem the world back to God and to restore the brokenhearted. And so my theory is that if you built the ministries in your church around these seven aspects or these seven characteristics, then you would have greater success in multiplying ministries and multiplying your churches. What are the seven areas? Prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy. 
you can take this or leave this, but I believe that if churches would build their small group outreach ministries around these key seven areas, then they would have a multiplying effect in the neighborhoods and communities in which they're located. Now, a fifth multiplication methodology that Jesus taught his disciples was that you have to constantly be casting out and reeling in in order to catch men. Whether you're using a fishing rod, a net, or a spear in the natural world, you must cast it out into the waters and draw it back again. How you cast into the water is very important. Your casting must be on target. You must also use care in order to land your fish after catching it. In the spiritual world, we are promised that if we cast out the word of God, it will not return void, but it will accomplish its purpose in the hearts and lives of men and women. Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Being a fisherman takes a lot of perseverance. You have to repeat the process over and over again before you become successful. Using the word of God as your bait means that you'll be on target every time. So use the word of God as the seed to plant into the souls of men and women. But you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I've cast out the word of God many times and I didn't receive any harvest. What happened? Why didn't I receive a result? Well, probably the reason that you didn't have success when you first cast the seed into the heart of a person is because there are heart issues with that person. You see, the hearts of men and women are kind of like the soil in a field. There are some areas that are hardened and they don't receive the seed. There are other areas that are rocky that receive the seed for a little while, but there's not enough soil for the seed to grow into a mature plant. And there are some areas of the hearts of men and women that have weeds in them that choke out the fruitfulness of this new plant. And then there are some good areas in the hearts of men of women. You know this story from Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun arose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So as you disciple makers are casting out and reeling in, you must realize that your fish out there in the world have different heart issues that are going to prevent them from taking the bait of the Word of God and being latched on and reeled in to the kingdom of God. 
So you're going to have to vary your methods and try different bait and work on those heart areas that are preventing them from receiving the truth about Jesus. Now a sixth multiplication methodology that Jesus taught his disciples was to choose the right timing. The time of day and the seasons of the year affect the fishing in the natural world, and so it is also in the spiritual world. Some fish migrate and cannot be caught in certain regions during some seasons. The big fish are caught early in the day when they come closer to the surface for feeding. And if you fish in the wrong season or at the wrong time, you won't catch many fish at all. So timing is very important to spiritual fishing. For example, here in this country, during the summer months, many people go on vacation, and it is practically impossible to gather a group together for some kind of ministry event during the summer months, inside the city, that is. So the lesson that I learned here in this country is in order to do any kind of ministry in the city, you probably need to start it in the fall semester or in the spring semester because people are usually gone or away during the summer months and during the New Year holidays. So timing is very important when fishing for men. And now a seventh principle of multiplication that Jesus taught his disciples was to use great patience. You know, a fisherman in the natural world must inevitably be patient. He must wait for the fish to take the bait or swim into the net. And just as it is in the physical world, so it is in the spiritual world. We must be patient, therefore, unto the coming of the Lord. As for the seed that fell into the good soil, they are those who hear the word of God, who hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and who bear fruit with patience. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So, in this segment, we have discovered seven personal disciplines that we can use ourselves in order to become more effective fishers of men. We've learned that we can become more effective through obedience. We've learned that we can be more effective by going where the fish are. We've learned that we can be more effective by analyzing the environment around our fish. We've learned that we can be more effective by varying the methodologies that we use to reach the fish. We've learned that we can be more effective by constantly casting out and reeling in the line. We've learned that we can be more effective by timing our fishing experiences better according to the circumstances around us. And we've learned that we can be more effective fishers of men by being patient with people. If you'll put these principles in your fisherman's toolbox, then you will become a more successful fisher of men. Now, after the break, I'd like to return and look at the process of multiplying fishers of men from the perspective of God in heaven. Stay with me. 
Are you not yet convinced that God wants you to operate out of a paradigm of multiplication rather than scarcity or even addition? Listen to this parable of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now a talent weighed between fifty-eight and eighty pounds. And so the master had entrusted his servants with considerable amounts of money. And he entrusted them according to their own abilities. They cared for their master's money. But the third servant, the one who received one talent, reasoned that his master might not be coming back at all, and he was afraid to invest the master's money. He feared that there would be no return. He did not even deposit the money into a bank where it would receive some interest. This third servant operated from a paradigm of scarcity or subtraction, and God was not pleased with him. As a result, not only did he lose what he had been given, but he was also cast into outer darkness, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this parable reminds us that while the king is away, we need to be active in multiplying what God has given us for his kingdom's sake. Jesus said in John 14:12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. And Jesus said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
So let's look at seven principles of multiplication from God's perspective. The first principle is that God has always been concerned with the multitudes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said, For I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the principle is that God is concerned with all the multitudes. He's concerned about numbers. He's concerned with the multiplication of believers everywhere who will reproduce and spread his gospel. So we must start with this same concern that God had to reach the entire world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now a second heavenly principle of multiplication from God's perspective is that God calls his followers to cooperate with God's principles. God worked through Noah, who cooperated with his principles, to preserve life on this earth after the flood. And God worked through Abraham, who cooperated with God's principles, in order to found a nation, the nation of Israel, through which God would reveal himself to all the nations of the world. God also worked through the prophets and the kings and the judges who cooperated with God's principles in order to accomplish his plan throughout the Old Testament times until the Messiah would show up on the earth. In the New Testament, God worked through John the Baptist who cooperated with the principles of God who prepared the way for the Lord with a message of repentance from sin. And of course, Jesus cooperated with the principles of the Father, saying that I only do what I see my Father doing in heaven. It is also expressed like this, How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So all through the scriptures we see that God uses those who cooperate with his redemptive purposes. Now, a third heavenly principle of spiritual multiplication is focusing on the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, And if I be lifted up from earth, I will draw all men unto myself. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So if you want to multiply the work of God here on earth, then you'll need to lift up the name of Jesus. There is spiritual power through proclaiming the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, a fourth heavenly principle of spiritual multiplication is that it is God who causes the growth. The Corinthian church struggled with this idea, and the Apostle Paul had to correct them. 
And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshy. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshy? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it is God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So the heavenly principle here is that God is the one who causes the growth, not you. Now, a fifth heavenly principle of spiritual multiplication is that God's word is what causes the multiplication. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is so powerful, it can radically dive into the depths of your heart and cut out the areas that are prohibiting you from experiencing more fruitfulness in multiplication. And now a sixth heavenly principle about spiritual multiplication is that not only does God cause the multiplication, not only does the Word cause the multiplication, but also the Holy Spirit enables the multiplication process. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables this multiplication. The gifts of the Holy Spirit equip us for multiplication, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit causes the reproduction. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. So if we want multiplying ministries, we have to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the seventh and the final heavenly principle of spiritual multiplication that we're going to discuss today is that multiplication is a shared team responsibility. You know, in the early church, the spread of the gospel was not left to full-time pastors or prophets or evangelists or teachers. Every New Testament believer was to be spiritually reproductive. If we are going to reach this whole world with the gospel, we must return to this original strategy of the early church. Both leaders and laymen must share the responsibility for spiritual multiplication. You know, there are enough Christians in the world right now that the entire world could easily be reached with the gospel. We only lack one thing, and that is the courage to fulfill the calling that God has given us through the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait for the command to go because it's already been given. 
You don't have to wait to be educated in training because the principles have already been taught to you. You don't have to wait for the power to enable you because the Holy Spirit is already residing inside of you to empower you for this task that he has called you to. So there really is no excuse for you, Christian, out there. God has called you to multiply geographically. God has called you to multiply disciples numerically. God has called you to multiply disciples ethnically. And God has called you to multiply disciples spiritually. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others also. Don't get caught in the daily affairs, but like a commander who wants to please his officer, then please your Savior Jesus Christ. So the calling goes out to you. Are you going to live by these seven heavenly principles of spiritual multiplication? And are you going to follow those seven spiritual disciplines in order to multiply disciples here on earth? We'll take a short break and then come back to wrap this all up. In an interview in Christianity Today, Billy Graham was asked an interesting question. If you were the pastor of a large church in a principal city, what would be your plan of action? Mr. Graham replied, I think one of the first things I would do would be to get a small group of seven or twelve men around me who would meet a few hours per week and pay the price. It would cost them some real time and effort, and I would share with them everything I had over a period of several years. Then I would send these seven or twelve men out to do the same with seven or twelve other men. Jesus Christ set the pattern here. In order to multiply, he spent most of his time with just twelve men. He didn't spend all his time with the crowd like you might think. In fact, he discovered that the crowd usually doesn't produce that many results. But great results come when you multiply yourself into a small group of people. So today we've seen that God loves the process of blessing people through multiplication. This principle of multiplication is all throughout the scriptures. Jesus used this principle of multiplication by calling his disciples into action. As they obeyed, as they went to where the fish were, as they analyzed the environment, and as they varied their methodologies, and as they constantly cast out their nets and reeled them back in, and as they were patient, then eventually they experienced explosive multiplication growth. Will you do the same? Will you make a promise to God right now with me? Something similar to this. In obedience to the Great Commission, O Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and reflecting the multiplication methods of blessings that God lives by, I, David, pledge to seek out and implement these multiplying methods of disciple-making for the purpose of finishing the disciple-making movement that Jesus started. I will abandon my scarcity thinking, and I will take steps of faith towards sowing multiplying seeds of the word of God into the lives of others in your kingdom so that more fruit will be produced. And I make this promise together with God on this day. God is my witness. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining our show today. If you have a question about the topic, if you have comments or any feedback, if you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers, if you'd like to download our free online discipleship curriculum, if you'd like to join our social networking group on Facebook, if you'd like to sign up for our next disciple-making webinar, if you'd like to become a patron, sponsor, crowdfunder, or volunteer to help us reach our goal, then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214-377-1107. We also appreciate positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean, as well as sharing the news about our podcast with your family and friends. Join us next week for another engaging episode. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.